that 09 one, man, that shit was wicked. Brooklyn rapper Sky Zoo, a staple on NotRight.com, was close like brothers with Wale, a 2009 XXL freshman. I was in the studio with Wale when he was making that whole attention deficit album. At the studio in Soho, you know, like I was with him damn near every day when he was working. I was just sitting there, you know what I mean? Yo, Sky, come through the studio today. So like we was really, really close at that time. Right after the XXL cover dropped, Sky and Wale stopped by the concert venue SOBs. Another freshman, Mickey Fax, had a show and Wale would make a cameo. And so he did the show, so of course I was there. I remember being like, oh man, this is insane. And you know, as an up and coming artist, there was no hate, there was no jealousy, there was no envy, but there definitely was, man, this is a club that I should be in. And as any artist, you're lying if you say you don't feel that moment at some point. That's a part of the growing pains of our craft and our art. Sky Zoo watched his peers from the sold out crowd. And I remember Nikki and the whole GFC crew that he's built and that he's running with, it was Saint who made him a plaque of the cover, framed and everything, and presented it to him. And he was like, yeah, he was freaking out on stage and all that. And I was like, God damn, man. Like, God damn, my face was supposed to be right there. I knew pretty much 90% of the cover personally. Currency was in my phone. Mickey was in my phone. Wale was my brother. Like, I knew all these guys personally. Blue, all of them. So I was happy for them. But it was like... God damn it, why couldn't it have been 11? Blogs were created to subvert radio, TV, and magazines. The gatekeepers who created superstars in a mold. They democratized the system, and the world was introduced to Mickey Fax, Wiz Khalifa, J. Cole, and thousands more. When XXL Magazine launched the freshman cover, highlighting a handful of the hottest blog rappers on the scene, things got hairy. Space had never been a problem on the internet, but now, artists wouldn't dream of being one in a million. They wanted to be top 10. We're It's The Real, and this is episode 6B, I'm On It. Destiny is fiction. Real people set a goal and put in the work. Sky Zoo lived down the block from Biggie growing up, But that fact alone wouldn't give him a career as a rapper. This was art, not science. Moving around Queens and Brooklyn in the 80s and 90s gave him a particular point of view. Street and smarts. Listening to an artist like Jay-Z opened up his mind to a new way to share his vision. Seeing posters that the Bad Boy Street team put up, he recognized the value of marketing and messaging. He refined his sound with major producers, engaged hand-to-hand by touring around the country, and quit his finance job when he was written up in XXL's Show and Proof column. And when he noticed the game moving online, he jumped feet-first into the OK Player forums. I'm corner store sky, I'm pressing up physical mixtapes, all my raps is about the bodega, corner store and all that. And my man Napoleon, who I grew up with, shout to him, he was like, yo, we gotta get you on the blog. Sky Zoo was a regular on Two Dope Boys, Perfection, and World Star. He became a Nah Right mainstay starting in April 2008 thanks to the wordplay and versatility shown in his collaboration with Wale called Lyrically Inclined. Within a year, he was signed to the independent New York label Duck Down Music. His debut album, The Salvation, ranked high on a number of year-end lists and even received an XL rating from XXL. And I think specifically with Not Right, SK seemed like 
kind of a hybrid of so many different things, you know. He's a around-the-way guy. He's all about the cool tape era, and he understood the fat beat side. He understood the hipster skateboard side, and that's me. I'm the same type of person as an artist. You know, I'm a dude who does records with uh, Jill Scott and then does records with Jada Kiss and then Black Thought and Bilal and then, you know, make a record about Spike Lee with, with Talib Kweli and then go do a bunch of Griselda records and it all makes sense. The blogs helped him go from eating cereal and tuna fish to owning homes. That wasn't destiny. That was hard work. But hard work didn't get him on the cover of a magazine with his peers. That was the cover out of all of them that I felt like I should have been on because I was so looped in with those guys and we was moving together at the same time. You know, like I said, my first blog look was with Wale. You know what I mean? He helped me get in that door. We all came in the same year. So now it's junior year, senior year, we're all graduating together. It was disappointing, but not the end of the world. There's always next year, right? A ton had changed in 12 months. Artists made on Nah Right looked at an appearance on that first real freshman cover like graduating to college. But as soon as that issue hit people's mailboxes, that goal changed. Immensely. This new crop of kids wanted to jump from high school straight to the NBA. And the conversation immediately turned to who was next. A few months before the 2010 list was announced, a picture of a computer screen went viral. It had a big, red, double XL logo with the names of Big Sean, J. Cole, Nicki Minaj, Nipsey Hussle, Wiz Khalifa, a few others, and wouldn't you know it, Sky Zoo. It created a frenzy online. Except, the list was fake. I just looked at it. That's crazy. I never saw that. That's crazy. Um, that's bananas. Shout out to whoever did that. <laughs> like that's Because that means they're a fan and they, and they respect what I do and what I was doing at the time. I never saw that. But yeah, I would have lost my mind. I'm glad I didn't see it because I would have had two heart attacks. <laughs> a good one and a bad one, you know what I mean? Vanessa Satin, who would become XXL's editor-in-chief after the 09 cover. My answer is, of course, it's great that they make them. It creates a conversation. It means people are anticipating it. Do I write up the list on stationery and leave it exposed on my desk for people to take pictures of? No. But it's funny because I get calls every year without fail of people thinking the list leaked and, and did they make it? Did they not? And getting offended, getting bothered. It's flattering, right? I mean, you, you, there's a lot of other worse things to be offended by. Sky Zoo wouldn't make that cover. The actual 2010 list would bring about a brand new class, one close but not identical to the fake thing that had been floating around. Daytuan Thomas, who brought the freshman idea to fruition, would step down for a job at Russell Simmons' new web venture, Global Grind. But before he left, he realized that the XXL model would change the game. They not only dictated the conversation, but also the calendar. Yo, the timing is the craziest thing. So we have success with the 09 joint and people are, you know, automatically looking forward to next year. Labels, artists, you know, and, and I'm talking about like artists that were kind of bubbling that just missed the 09 one too. So Around that time when the 09 one came out, Drake was popping. Drake started coming out and it was like, Dad, you ain't put Drake on there. It was like, ah, oh. he just dropped right after we did everything. So the timing looked like we could have put him on, but it was just really weird. But J. Cole was starting to make some noise too. This is Ibrahim Hamad. Today, he's J. Cole's manager. By the time the warm-up came out in June 2009, there was no doubt in our mind 
that we were going to be on a 2000 takeover. Confidence could be Cole's thing. A proud son of North Carolina, he came north to attend St. John's University, but his real mission was to sign to Jay-Z. He'd wait outside the studio, hoping to pitch himself as the next rapper slash producer in the mold of Kanye. One time, he made it as far as the front desk, only to be told that Jay wasn't in. He printed up a t-shirt that read produce for Jay-Z or Die Tryin' and wore it to the 16th birthday party for L.A. Reid's son. In 07, Eve was just Cole's confidant. But he thought a better way forward was a traditional path. To create a mixtape they'd call The Come Up and have Cole rap on other people's beats with DJ On Point as the host. I was a big Joe Bunn fan and I loved the Moon Music series. He was the one hosting those. The come-up began to circulate both hand-to-hand and from blog-to-blog. Modi, who ran the site DC2BC, had a super early copy and passed it to his friend who ran PardonMeDuke.com, Felton Brown. So I'm one day, like, working on some websites with some clients, and I'm just listening to this tape over and over. I'm like, damn, this dude is crazy. Who is this dude? I'm like, he's from New York. And I'm listening to him, like, he's from Carolina. I'm like, damn, he sound like a New York rapper. Like, like a spitter. I'm like, fuck, he's dope. I got his email, and I emailed him like, yo, my name is Spellin. I got this blog on Party Me Duke. I really love your mixtape. I'd love to interview you. Each and any post, a song, music video, or behind-the-scenes clip meant more validation for the career Cole was building. It was like, damn, this person thought it was dope enough to tell their followers you should listen to this. You know what I mean? Whether the followers were 100 followers or 100,000, I don't know that. You know what I mean? So those moments of like DC to BC, which led to the relationship with part of me do, into like two dope boys, into eventually not right, was incredible. One, he was an MC in a way that I personally like my rap music served up. Like he was a lyricist first. And then the crazy part was he made his own beat, which was like, you know, reminiscent to hearing someone like Kanye who made his own beats. I was like, damn, this dude is rare and special in a way that I think is going to be like really important to the game. Cole's story was relatable. His commitment to his craft was on a trillion. His bars want him diehards. And he met with people like 50 and Jim Jones. But his truth also earned him detractors online who chided him for being too soft or even too ambitious. Cole wouldn't mind the comments. He'd look past them. He wrote and produced Lights, Please, which caught the attention of Mark Pitts, once the notorious B.I.G.'s manager. Lights, please, turn off the lights. For now, everything just seems so right. How you make the darkness seem so bright. I'm feeling like things gonna be alright. Lights, please. Mark Pitts may have liked it, but Cole and Eve were still paying their bills working at a call center. 0708 Cole was so broke he couldn't afford a fully functioning cell phone. For many months, it felt like the line was dead. Until out of nowhere, word got to the guys that Mark had played Lights Please for Jay Z. And Jay wanted to meet that day. Cole didn't even clock in at work. They drove down to the Rock Nation offices and had an incredible three hour meeting. One that ended without anything concrete so they waited days turned to weeks weeks to a month and nothing one day Eve checked his emails on a car ride and saw an urgent message that Jay wanted to sign Cole Eve passed the phone to Cole who called Mark as he was driving 
and got pulled over by the cops. Since he had a suspended license, Cole was taken in to spend the night in central bookings. With a huge smile on his face, knowing his life was about to change. Brian B. Miller, then at Double XL, shared the same barber as Cole in Queens. He came to the barber shop and he told us everyone got signed. And later that night, he went to the club and um, he struck out of his spot. This is my friend who's from the barber shop. He signed Jay Z. I know the story about him giving Jay Z the CD and getting denied. It's like it's a storybook. I was just really happy for him, but it was like a lot of false starts for him to get to where he needed to be. When it happened finally, I was like, wow, this is surreal. It's crazy, man. I was really happy for him. After a couple years of being followed by fans in Taylor Gang t-shirts around the country, Wiz Khalifa was arguably American youth's favorite rapper. His mixtape Burn After Rolling had an unexpected hit, The Thrill, which was a remix of Walking on a Dream by the Australian electronic duo Empire of the Sun. Wake up, drunk, go to sleep, fucked up, fucked up. We both amazed at what we just done, just done. Mixing drinks, no will we grant this? Ain't been asleep yet, room service bringing us breakfast. And this was mere weeks before Wiz would drop his magnum opus of hazy anthems and fun summer romps, Kush and Orange Juice. Previous projects like Flight School and How Fly had struck a chord with a generation of weed smokers looking for an easy high as opposed to aggressive street shit. Every show seemed to get bigger. Kush and OJ, in between major label deals, was instantly recognized as a classic record. That's my Illmatic, that's my Reasonable Doubt, that's, uh, that's, that's my doggy style, like, you know? So when Wiz got the call that he'd be included, he took things in stride. Yeah, man, it was such a crazy time, bro. Like, I was so cocky, like, everything that I was getting at that time, I felt like I fully deserved. And it was just like, I'm not shocked. <laughs> Pill and Donis were two solo rappers from Atlanta with a total of three mixtapes released between them. Donis, an Air Force veteran who seriously considered his next chapter being a restaurant chef, signed a single deal with Fool's Gold, followed by a contract with Atlantic Records, and modeled his intergalactic vibes after Kid Cudi. I'm watching his trajectory and what was going on with him, and I was like, I have to figure out who are the people within that space and find management and people who understand what's happening on the internet. We had to like figure out how to get on Two Dope Boys and how to get on All Right and all that type of energy. And Donis would follow Cuddy's footsteps onto the freshman cover. In a lot of ways, I want to say it meant everything because at that time, there just wasn't a, a better look you could possibly have. Pill, who grew up moving around between the roughest parts of Atlanta, was the first man in his family to graduate from high school. He kept one foot in the studio and one foot in selling heavy drugs and created the dealer anthem Trap Going Ham. His manager at the time, White Boy D, called him on the phone. He told me, he was like, you're not going to believe this shit. So I was like, what? He was like, man, you got chosen to be um, a double SL freshman for 2010. I was like, what? And I didn't know the, you know, the radar was on me like that. Like, I was just doing this shit because I loved it. And, I, and it was something that, that fueled me and it drove me every day because I was fresh out the dope game. I wasn't expecting it. So, like, I was jumping for joy. I couldn't believe it, man. It was like one of the happiest days of my life. The magic of the freshman cover remained the guessing game of who might show up. 
It was like walking into the real world and meeting your new roommates for the first time. This is Big Sean. I actually did a song about that day because it was one of the most important days of my life was to be on that freshman 10 shoot. I was just looking forward to like meeting people. I remember I'd already met Nipsey before. Me and him were cool, like from a couple of years before that. And you didn't know who was going to be on the cover. So I knew a couple of the people, but then I saw Wiz walk in. It was cool to talk to Wiz and me and him. That was the start of our friendship. And I was looking forward to meeting this dude named Jay Cole. Everybody was there, OJ and you know, our RP Nip, you know what I mean? And Sean and motherfucking Wiz and Fashan and Johnny's and like, it was crazy. Freddie, like man, that shit was amazing, man. The conversations with Kill and everyone, just, you know, do you sign to somebody else? J. Cole being signed to Jay-Z, Deshaun signed to Kanye. And then like having those conversations, like Nipsey is West Coast as hell. And you know, he just always carried himself like it's just a grown ass fucking man in a lot of ways where it's like, I'm 22 and I'm just young and I just feel like a kid just in this shit. This is Wiz's manager, Will Dezombeck. Some of Wiz's closest friends were on that cover, you know. I think because they went through that experience together so they can, they'll can they always have something to relate to because I think any artist can be like, oh, I wasn't nervous, but I'm sure they all were nervous in their own sense and that like brought them together, especially when Wiz was like, let's fucking smoke. You know, of course he was the first one to just bust it out. And I think that was like a big icebreaker too that, that united everyone. We was in that bitch lit. I'm talking about, <laughs> we was fried. Like, I smoked so much. <laughs> I smoked so much weed and got so motherfucking faded in that bitch. Like, they had drank. Like, of course, Wiz pulled like a fucking uh, QP out of his drawers. <laughs> so, OJ rolling up at Stendos. You know, that was sick. So, we just getting fucked up. Like, I'm talking about, we got fried. And we really, it, it was just so much camaraderie. Everybody had knew each other anyway from you know, from being on the festival circus and just performing together and shit. So it was amazing, man. Like I, I guess it's something that like, I won't ever forget. Um, I mean, it's that opportunity to take everything that you've worked for and put it in front of millions, right? Like this is your opportunity to be everything that you've ever kind of wanted to be. Your idols become your rivals kind of, right? And you're like, yo, like you gotta turn up. Like this chance, right? There's moments in your career, but that moment in particular is just one of those moments where it's like, it's not going to happen again. This is it. This is the shit. You're in it. This is that first impression. So, like, for me, it was like, yo, like, everybody's going to see this. This is that energy. This is what time it is. And, like, we just got to go for it all the way. And, and, you know, it's an incredible feeling. Wiz Khalifa, Nipsey Hussle, Freddie Gibbs, Fashawn, Pill, Donis, OJ the Juice Man, Big Sean, J-Rock, J. Cole, all together in one photo. Well, sort of. Cole, the artist that the internet mocked for thinking he'd ever signed to Jay-Z, was now laughed at for being the first rapper signed to Jay's new label. Commenters had a million things to say about why and when he'd fail. So on top of the immense pressure of being the chosen 24-year-old, he had to deliver a hit single out the box. So he did what anyone in his position would do. Spend two days in Miami working with Pharrell. After that, they'd fly up to New York for the XXL shoot. So our flight got super delayed. I don't even remember why. And we're calling XXL or like, you know, calling Rock Nation, like letting them know like, yo, our flight is delayed. But we thinking like, because Cole at the point is kind of like the biggest artist or the biggest name on that cover, we're like, damn, they probably think we some divas. Like, 
they probably think like, you know what I mean? Like, so we show up madly with like our bags fresh off the plane and they had already, and I don't think anybody knows this, but whatever. They had already shot the cover. So they just shot Cole and just like threw him on the end. Like, like they just, like he's not actually in that picture with all tenant. He just kind of got added. The 2009 cover was a celebration of the blogs. The 2010 cover was a significant crack in the blog's foundation. Kendrick Lamar, until recently known as KDOT, was a junior member of Top Dog Entertainment and showed up at the shoot in support of fellow LA rapper J-Rock. He knew what those 10 slots on the cover meant and how it could impact his career. Here's Vanessa Satin. Uh, I mean, the best story is Kendrick walked up to me at the end of the shoot. And I think he even rapped about it on the song. I think it was the hard part. Three, maybe, where he's like talking about being a double XL cover, J. Cole running late. He's asking double XL, if he don't show up, can I take his place? He said, I'm going to be there next year. I said, okay, you say so. And he was. Not only would these artists lead the set that day with new friendships, but new collaborators as well. Later on that night, after we were exhausted, it was either Wiz or Nipsey who hit me up. I think it was Wiz, though. And was like, come to the studio. We're about to meet up. So I went to the studio and French Montana was there. That was my first time meeting him too. And Wiz and Nip and me. And we did that song just on the spot and um, shot the video like in the actual session. The song, titled I'm On It, was a love letter to being young, having fun, and talking shit. Wiz, Sean, and Nipsey, brimming with the confidence of magazine cover stars, wouldn't waste any time with the clock ticking on their freshman year. There's a video of uh, Wiz, French Montana, Big Sean, and Nipsey. I shot that music video and Wiz fucking edited it. A lot of the time, Will was behind the camera and I edited all the early day-to-days and videos that I shot and, you know, anything that I could get my hands on at the time just to make the, the project move forward, uh, we, were, we were always down for it. He edited on his MacBook and he spent like four days doing it and then sent it to French and boom. At that time, it just was all over the blogs. It was like, this is the shit and this is like the power of the internet because it's like French from New York, Wiz from Pittsburgh, Big Sean from Detroit, and Nipsey from the West Coast on a record. You know, YouTube video only, boom. 10 artists, no matter the type of rap they made, the kind of following they accumulated, or even what part of the world they were from, were forever linked thanks to this cover. One day spent in a photography studio, one series of freestyles, a million blunts passed, and a million laughs shared, and one image on the cover of a magazine. Man, that was the wildest feeling. It was like fucking exhilarating. Like I felt the electricity going through my veins when I first touched it and picked it up. You know what I'm saying? I was like, nigga, what? Like, it was unbelievable. It was like something out of a dream. Like, it's something that I still can't believe. Like, people remind me of it because, you know, I go through tough times and then people be like, he was on 2010, double SL first become why? Yeah, freshman 10. 
This shit making me feel old, damn. I gotta go back to old 10 when the best car I rode in was the old Benz and new enemies were still old friends. Honestly, I think it was around 09 the time I got the double XL cosign. Remember thinking I should have been on the last couple years, nigga, both times. The Blog Era is executive produced for Other Tone by Pharrell Williams, Moses Choyola, and Scott Benner. Executive produced for It's The Real by Eric Rosenthal, Jeff Rosenthal, and Steve Carlos. Produced by Greg Mayo and Osmi Rollins. Written, researched, and hosted by Eric Rosenthal and Jeff Rosenthal. Original score by Greg Mayo. Edited by Greg Mayo. Story edited by Timhotep Aku. Fact-checked by Brandon Callender. This... Is the blogger. I would have lived in a moment more, but I guess that's what memories are for.